So I'm, I'm not just John that has shaved up here, but uh, as you know, the Andersons um, are not feeling well. John, especially, I think he got what's going around in the family. And so just remember him in your prayers. I know it's really tough for him not to be here this morning. Uh, I'm happy to be able to come and join you guys. I, I joined you in the summertime, uh, the place you used to meet, and uh, praise God for the space that he's provided uh, for you now. Uh, it's awesome. My name is Chris Gervin. And um, as is mentioned, we're hoping and praying for God to plant another church like this in Red Deer, uh, Redemption Church Red Deer. And so we just, as a family, we just moved there um, a few weeks ago, start of October, and we're just getting settled. We're in a, kind of the, the phrase of, or the, the part of church planting, we're gathering a core group of people. I shall be doing that this afternoon. There's uh, 20 plus of us gathering, we're praying, we're saying this is the kind of church we want to be, we're inviting people to that, and we hope to Easter 2021 be able to meet uh, like you guys on a Sunday morning, so appreciate your prayers, your support, um, and if you know anyone in Red Deer, we love, I love to grab a coffee with them, just share the vision of the church, and see who God would call, and uh, as a number of, of you already do, just like, like our page on Facebook, Appreciate John Flood and others who like, are always liking and sharing. And you just never know who that will connect with, who's like, oh, I didn't know about uh, this church plant. So um, excited to see uh, and be with you guys this morning. Excited to see what God will continue to do in Red Deer and beyond. Um, and so what a blessing. Um, this is a message I actually shared uh, in, in February at the church in, in Calgary. And not knowing what was going to, you know, happen in the preceding months. And I think it's even uh, more pertinent to today, uh, as you'll see. But um, have you ever been spiritually high? What I, what I mean by that, have you ever went to like a, a, a conference or on a missions trip? Or you shared your faith with someone? Or, or maybe you, you got baptized. You're like, hey, I'm going to uh, take that step of faith and say yes to the Lord. And you go down to the waters and come back up again. And you're just like on cloud nine. You're like, God's so close to me right now. Uh, you, you see him at work. And there's times in our life, in our spiritual walk, where we're just like, oh, I don't know if I can get any better than this. You just have that spiritual high. I don't know if you've experienced that. But anyone who's had a spiritual high, you also know there's times of spiritual lows. And for whatever reason, that brings you from that high to that low. Um, it can come for many reasons. It can last for different seasons. And... And for any of us who experience that, we know uh, what a spiritual low is like. Maybe you can feel like you're in a rut or feel like your, your prayers, they're not reaching God. You just don't, don't have that strength to draw close to the Lord. Um, maybe you haven't experienced, but unfortunately you will uh, one day. Um, the reality of our lives on this earth is that we live in a broken world. Uh, we're broken. And, and, and at times, there'll be spiritual highs and spiritual lows. But isn't that kind of the Christian life? There's periods of, like, mountaintop experiences and, and periods of value, uh, valleys, spiritual lows. And in this message, we'll be uh, looking at a well-known Old Testament saint and learning how to get back up spiritually when you find yourself in that low, in that what I would term spiritual depression. How do you get back up again? That's what we want to talk about this morning. I'm just going to pray, and then we'll open up the scriptures uh, and see what God has for us. Lord, I thank you again, and I praise you. What a, a blessing it was to, to join with uh, your people here, Redemption Olds, 
And now as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us through it. I pray that you would encourage our hearts uh, to know you more. Holy Spirit, that you'd speak through me. And uh, as, as we proclaim your word, that you would minister to us, Lord. Uh, even lift up Christ among us. And that we'd see you, God, more clearly. And uh, you just draw us to yourself. So bless the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you, if you have a Bible, if you want to open up uh, to 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll be looking at a time in the life of the prophet Elijah. But um, as we're looking at a season of Elijah's life, just to like kind of want to paint the background picture of like who is Elijah as we just jump in here, you know, the background um, would be 9th century BC at this particular period of time. King Ahab ruled in Israel. King, King Ahab's dad was Omri. He was very wicked, kind of like Ahab wanted to one-up his dad, and he was even more wicked, and he married this woman named Jezebel. She was from uh, north of Israel, from a place called Sidon. They worshipped uh, Baal there, and she brought Baal worship to Israel, so there's a lot of worshipping of idols. It was a very spiritually low time, and then Elijah appears on the scene in 1 Kings 17, and he, he basically says, it's not going to rain anymore, King Ahab, unless I say so. And then if you know 1 Kings uh, 17, then Elijah was miraculously fed by ravens. They gave him bread and meat. Uh, amazing story. Then he went and joined a widow and their son, and then he actually fed the widow and son, or God miraculously provided uh, for them through a jar of oil and a, flour that, uh, a jar of flour that would not go empty. And then even in, that, in chapter 17, uh, Elijah healed a widow's son from the dead, or God did through Elijah. Like, amazing. Then, you probably all know 1 Kings chapter 18, that's really well known for Elijah, right? The showdown at Mount Carmel, and like, where Elijah says, hey, let's quit serving Baal. Get all the prophets of Baal out here, and we're going to see who serves the true and living God, right? And they have the sacrifices set up, and the prophets of Baal are jumping around and dancing around, and he's like, hey, maybe your God's sleeping, just wake him up, and nothing happens. And then Elijah has his sacrifice, right? And they douse it in water over and over and over again. And then fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. And, and all the people are even confessing like, Yahweh is Lord. It's like a revival happened. And they turn and they, they kill the prophets of Baal. Like just an amazing story. And then he prays, Elijah prays for rain. It hasn't rained in like three and a half years and it rains. And then, and then he runs past King Ahab in his chariot by the Spirit, like runs past him. So just this amazing, if you think about his life and the things that he's seen and witnessed, talk about a spiritual high. After 1 Kings like 17 and 18, the life of Elijah. But as we'll see, he doesn't, he doesn't stay there. He actually, in the next chapter, we're going to find him in the lowest of lows following this. Look at 1 Kings 19, 1 to 4. Not that we need to know, but we're going to learn from uh, his, his life how to get spiritually depressed. Look at verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. I just want you to notice, like, it hadn't rained in three and a half years, and it rained. King Ahab wasn't saying, like, look, it rained outside. He didn't talk about this amazing, like, fire coming down and consuming, because he was blind. He was spiritually blind. He's like, he killed the prophets. Ahab couldn't see what God had just done among him, so he goes and he tells his wife uh, all that was happening, 
And in verse 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, you so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So he gets threatened by Queen uh, Jezebel. And again, she was so strong in Baal worship. She had brought Baal worship from Sidon uh, to Israel, so much so that there was like 450 Baal prophets and 400 uh, prophets of Asherah, another idol that would sit at the king's table and eat. So they were just like feeding them. They were just spreading it. And so she was so mad that uh, what Elijah had done, what God done through Elijah, so she threatened him. And you think like, who, who cares? Elijah, like, look what you just saw, but for whatever reason, it hits him between the eyes, it hits his heart, and he, he runs, as we see in verse 3, and then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. He, he took his eyes off the Lord. He focused on himself, and he was scared. He wasn't thinking about what God did on Mount Carmel. He wasn't thinking about the rain that came down. He was what I call like navel gazing, right? He was like focused inward. And inwardly, his hope wasn't in himself, it was in God. And so he was full of fear and he ran. And think about as he is focusing on his problems, not on God. It's like, I don't know if anyone's went for a hike in the, the Rocky Mountains. And as you work your way through a mountain and you, you get to the top, beautiful views, right? And like, you're just like, wow, it's amazing. And sometimes as people, they eat their lunch at the top, sometimes litter is left behind. And imagine like getting up this big hike and seeing this amazing view and there's like litter on the ground. And now that's all you can see is there's, there's garbage. There's garbage here in front of me. And you no longer see the beautiful view. That's what Elijah was doing. He's no longer seeing God who he was and what he was doing. He was so focused on himself and he was full of fear. So that's one of the signs of a spiritual depression is to focus on yourself and your problems. And notice that every time where Elijah's going, it's always God's word, like God would send him different places. This time God didn't send him. He was just running on his own. And he left his servant there. He went from north Israel to south Judah, like huge distance, literally running from his problems. And I just want you to see another sign of spiritual depression is like my will be done, not God's. When we're just like, actually, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to do it now. And so when he, he went to this place, he left his servant there, another sign of spiritual depression is separating ourselves from other people. And isn't that what we do when we get low? When we actually need people around us, we're like, actually, I don't want to be around anyone right now. And we, so we leave and we separate ourselves from other people, as Elijah did his servant. And uh, <laughs> if we can learn from a, an older movie, Tom Hanks' Castaway, right? We learned about the importance of relationship taught by a, a volleyball called Wilson. Maybe only Tom Hanks could do that, that like he needs a friend, right? He makes Wilson his friend. And, and somehow, as the, as the volleyball gets washed away, everyone's like, I'm not crying. I'm not crying right now. But yeah, we, we just see that there's something in all of us. We need other people. But when we get low, we want to push other people away when we actually need them most. So Elijah was doing that. He was just so low. I don't want to be around anyone. And not only that, he's like, I'm done ministry. I'm out. Which if you think about what happened just previous, what he just saw, how does that happen? How did he go from such a spiritual high to such a spiritual low? Elijah, 
He was drained physically. He was drained emotionally. He was drained spiritually. He went from such a spiritual high to such a spiritual low. And, I, and just as we're thinking, like, how did that happen to Elijah? I just want to bring before your eyes another uh, saint in the Bible, this time from the New Testament. Uh, just look quickly. We all know John the Baptist, right? Just amazing birth, amazing ministry, baptizing people, calling people to repentance, preparing the way for Jesus to come, and baptize Jesus. Uh, but he, he got put in jail, right? Because he called out King Herod for marrying his brother's wife. And he got thrown in jail for that. And it says this, well, he's sitting in jail in Luke uh, chapter 7, verses 18 to 19. And John's disciples came and reported to him like all the things that Jesus was doing, all the miracles in verse 18. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, like sent them to Jesus saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? I just want you to see that John the Baptist in a low state was questioning, Jesus, are you the one? And, and if, if it can happen to Elijah, if it can happen to John the Baptist, that he's even questioning, Jesus, are you the one? How much more us? How much more me and you? And it can come for all types of uh, different reasons. You could, be, you could just be parenting your kids. And, you know, fights breaking out and things just getting you down. It could be in marriage fighting over finances or vacation or losing a job or uh, just, you know, for some people, like pressure to fall in with the wrong group of friends and maybe making the wrong choices and just going to a low part or, or just busy seasons like life doesn't end or death in the family or, or sickness or like just COVID. And you could just have like so many reasons in which we could fall into a spiritual low, especially in this, in this time that we're in. We all get spiritually low, but now for the, the rest of time, I want to follow Elijah. How do you get back up uh, spiritually when you find yourself down? So continuing his story, 1 Kings 19, 5 to 8. First, we want to get back up physically. I want you to even notice uh, verse 4, but he himself went a, a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down, sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. I just want you to, I just want to point out too, so Elijah is like, God, take my life. Think about the prayers he had before. He prayed uh, for the widow's son who was dead and came to life. He prayed for rain, and rain came. Now he's praying that God would take his life, but a prayer that was like, was never, ever answered, right? Elijah never died. <laughs> Elijah and Enoch are the only ones in Scripture who just were taken to heaven. So that prayer was never answered from Elijah, but he's such a low place. He's laying there, but then God meets him. Verse 5, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Just, just want to point out here God's kindness and God's goodness. Right? Like an angel doesn't show up and just kind of like kick him while he's sleeping. Like, get up. Come on, Elijah. No, it says about our Lord, it says about Jesus in Isaiah 42, verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, 
like Jesus, our, our, our Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God is kind to those who are broken, gentle. So he meets Elijah where he is at, and God sends an angel and gives him uh, bread and water in between his sleep. Think about, first he just gives him food. Have you, guys, have you ever been hangry? Like the silly word of hungry and angry combined together, and we're like, we know with like little kids, they like throw a temper tantrum, like, oh, they just haven't eaten. But we actually, we're just better at hiding it sometimes, and sometimes not. Like when we haven't eaten for a time, we all get angry, we all get upset. God's, God's like, hey, you need some food. And then you also need some sleep. I don't know if any of you have ever went a long time without sleep. I'm sorry for uh, young families. It's just a season uh, where we go without sleep. But I, I know even myself sometimes, like, I'm caffeine sensitive. If I'll drink a coffee in the evening, I'm, I'm wide awake. What? Oh, I, why did I drink that coffee? But then the next number of days, like, just a wreck. No sleep, just grumpy, like, Lord, help me. Keep my mouth shut <laughs> sometimes. But just so, what did Elijah need? He needed some food. He needed some sleep. So sometimes when, when we're in that state, we actually just want comfort food. I don't know about what it is for you. I like, I like sweet and salty. It's not a good combination. So chips and chocolate or whatever. And we'll like go to things that we think will comfort us. Or maybe like, man, I'm so tired. So I'm just going to go on YouTube. And just follow a trail of videos or whatever it is that kind of like numbs our mind when actually the best thing that we need when we're feeling really low is probably like a good night's sleep and a good meal. Sometimes, sometimes. That's actually the godliest thing that we can do. Rest can be a, a cure. I just want to take kind of like two caveats to this, to this message and just mention this. As I'm talking about spiritual depression, uh, and again, I mentioned like we live in this broken world. We have broken bodies. And, and for some of us here, as I talk about different things of how to get back up again, maybe you actually are fighting through like real depression. And uh, you actually maybe need more. Uh, do these things, but maybe also see a doctor and get help. And that's okay because some of us, you know, there's like maybe different imbalances in our brain that need to be balanced out with depression. So I don't, as I'm talking about spiritual depression, I just want to, want to mention that. And then also too, like if you've lost a loved one, there's a time to mourn. And if someone's like down in mourning, you're not like, hey, just like get back up again. Come on. Like, no, there's actually a time that you need to walk through. Uh, if it's been a long period of time, then other people can maybe encourage you and try to take you out of that. But just, you know, sometimes it's a lot more than, hey, just get a good sleep and, and eat well. And it wasn't even that for that for Elijah. So he ate, though, and got rest. And he goes on a journey, as we see in verse 8. And he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So anytime we see that in Scripture, 40 days and 40 nights, like there's a special work of God, you know, about to happen. You know, just think of... Uh, of Noah and the flood, it rained 40 days and 40 nights, or like Moses when he received the Ten Commandments, right? 40 days and 40 nights, the spies in the land, Jesus' temptation. Uh, so he's going 40 days and 40 nights, like something is going about to happen. And why, where's he going? He's going to Mount Horeb. Like, where is that? That's, that's Mount Sinai. So actually, Elijah is going to Mount Sinai because he actually wants a Moses-like experience. 
He's craving him as, as he's feeling spiritually low. He's like, I want something big. I want something amazing. I want something extravagant. And that's sometimes what we crave when we're in our spiritual low. Like, God, I just need you to show up in an amazing, uh, you know, just a huge way. So, like, undisputed that you're here. But we'll, we'll see that that's actually not how God met him in his spiritual low. And that's not the norm how he meets us, too, and we're down in those places. So I want to see in verses 9 to, 9 to 12, get back up, seeking God. In verse 9, he, it says of Elijah, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And actually a commentator, Richard Patterson, says this, the Hebrew text says he came there to the cave. Like possibly the very cleft in the rock where God had placed Moses as his glory passed by, recorded in Exodus chapter 33. Who, who knows? I guess that's in the Hebrew text. But either way, he came there wanting a Moses-like experience. It wouldn't be surprising if he tried to go to the same place God had met Moses. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what a stirring question. What are you doing here? God's called to reassess his position. And look at Elijah's response, 1 Kings 19.10. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Like what? Is his response true? That's the one thing, right? Like what about all the people on Mount Carmel who said, actually, Yahweh is Lord and we want to follow him. But Elijah's like, it's, I'm just, I'm completely alone. What about if we had read previous, there's a guy named Obadiah who preserved a hundred prophets of the Lord when Queen Jezebel was trying to kill them. What about, what about those guys? Like, he was just so focused on himself, he couldn't see that actually God's people were around, that God actually had other people. And then he's saying, they seek my life. A bit of an exaggeration. He got a threat from Jezebel. But isn't that it? When we're down in the, in the dumps, we see things so differently. Right? Like, if you're in a spiritually low place, you can be sitting amongst God's people who love Jesus, and you're like, I'm all alone. When actually, if I look around here, like, we're not alone. We're in a big group of people. But it can help us to, to see things the wrong way. That's what Elijah was doing. In verse 11, and God said, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And again, what, what was he expecting? I think he was expecting something like when uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments, where there was like a loud fire, and there's a loud trumpet sound and smoke. And so he's like in anticipation. He's waiting, and the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Can you just imagine however long each of those events took place that each time he's like leaning forward, he's waiting. Is, is, this, is this God? But God wasn't in any of those. And how does God appear to him? And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Or if you, I don't know if you have a footnote in your Bible, or the, the sound of thin silence. Like they're taking two, two words 
Uh, sound and silence. And what does that make? What is the sound of silence? That's why this uh, ESV translated as a low whisper. But God met him in the quietness. Elijah goes expecting to meet God in something big and loud in an amazing way, but it's in quietness that God chooses to reveal himself to his servant. I think this is a good reminder for us, especially in the age that we live in. We need to find times to get quiet before the Lord. I think God was also showing Elijah that he's present in the small things too, right? Like he's, he's God on Mount Carmel when those amazing things are happening, but God was also with Elijah when he lay down under the broom tree. He fed him there. He's with him in the sheer silence. We need to remember God is the God of the normal and the mundane as much as he is the God of the fantastic and the miraculous. Right? We're often like if something big and something amazing happens, like, oh, that's, that's surely God. But what about if you just go about your day and you just you have food on your table, you have good health. Like, that is, that's surely God uh, as well. When we are spiritually depressed, we need to get quiet and, and seek God. But, and I think this, especially at a, at a premium, we need to be doing this in the day and age we live in, right? Phones, uh, social media, TV, computer, music, news, like, and the list goes on and on. Like, we're constantly bombarded with noise. And especially when we're spiritually low, like, turn that stuff off. Get quiet before the Lord and seek him in prayer. We want to get back up seeking God, looking to God. Verses uh, 13 to 18, get back up hearing from God. And when Elijah heard it, like when he heard the low whisper or the sound of silence, He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Again, the same question. And again, the same answer. He said, I have been very jealous for the people, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He gives the same reply. He was so low He was looking at himself. He still didn't have the right perspective. He was still looking inward. When we are low, we need to hear a word from God. Listen to God's response to Elijah. And again, it's not this rebuke. It's not a slap upside the head. But God shows him kind of like, hey, this is what I'm doing in the present. And this is what I'm going to be doing in the future. Verses 15 to 16, uh, the start. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. What this showed Elijah was that God was in control of the situation. He had a plan to deal with Ahab and the worshippers of Baal. Elijah could rest in God's sovereign rule over his life and the lives of the countries and kings surrounding him. What God says to Elijah will happen in his own time, in God's own time. Haziel was in Syria and is actually anointed by Elisha. And Jehu is anointed by another priest following the command of Elisha. But God's saying, like, I'm in control of this situation. I'm, I'm sovereign over this, Elijah. Like, take this 
We need to take this to heart about our own lives. Right? Is God control of your life? And I know, and it's easy to answer when things are going well, but when things, especially this stretch of however many months we've been in now, where things kind of, like, this is not what I thought was going to happen. Even today, me standing in front of you, this is not what you thought was going to happen, but God is in absolute control of our lives. He's still working his purposes out. Even when we're low and depressed, we need to know, especially, like, God is in control. I heard someone once say, the sun is still shining, even if it's covered by clouds. Right? We need to remember how, it doesn't matter how we feel, God still has us and this world in his hands. I want to just think for a moment, think small and, and work our way bigger. Think about that God knit you together in your mother's womb. From Psalm 139, he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the days of our lives and we can't add or take away from them. From Acts 17, he sets the places we will live so that we might seek him. From Isaiah 40, he puts rulers in place and disposes of them how he sees fit. And he has put the stars in the sky and not one of them is missing. In Colossians 1.16, and everything is held together by him. Everything. And you just see what, what we're doing there, like we're taking our eyes off ourselves and we're just looking to who God is and looking to how he has from the smallest molecule to the, the universe and universes. And he has them all in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hands. A fun song, but it's true. So God was reminding Elijah he is sovereign. And then at the second part of verse 16, he says this, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. I just said there, like, God gives friends. Elijah needed someone else in his life, right? God knew what he needed. It's funny, though, like, he gets Elisha. Elijah and Elisha. I'm like, why are they so close together? But, but amazing names, like Elijah, um, means Yahweh is God. Elisha means God is salvation. Beautiful. And so Elijah, who felt so alone, gets a brother to do the work in the ministry with him. God knew what he needed. But doesn't God know what we need? Like we all need people in our life for ministry or just life, period. Um, we're not meant to be lone rangers, right? Like even like cults understand this as they send out people two by two. We're not to be alone. God made us to have people in our lives. Like Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one. If, if one falls down, the other can help them back up again. And so I would just encourage you from this message, take time to invest in relationships. But especially before trials hit. If you can like, get to know people and let people into your life. I know there's like a, especially in these days, a physical, but there can even in normal days, we can keep a distance from people. They can maybe know our name, know a few things about us, but you actually have to kind of surrender yourself to let people get to know you so that when times are hard, they'll know you well enough to ask questions or like, I haven't seen you for a while. I'll pick you back up again. We all need people in our, in our lives. And so Elijah got that in Elisha. Verse 17, and the one, 
And as God continues to tell him what will happen, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And this is fulfilled in the future. But Elijah could know that God would deal with Ahab and the worshippers of Baal. God just gave him a glimpse of what was happening in the present, what was happening in the future. As in, like, keep your head up. I'm in control of these things. In verse 18, God provides and keeps the faithful. And he says to Elijah, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God's like, I have people set apart for myself. Interesting. Although 7,000, those who have not bowed to Baal, there are faithful followers out there. He's saying to Elijah, get your head up, you're not alone. This could either be a literal number or just a symbolic number of the godly remnant that God was setting aside for himself. God made sure there were faithful people in the land. Elijah wasn't alone because God kept 7,000 for himself. The Apostle Paul uh, takes this passage in Romans 11, 1 to 5 and unpacks election. How God chooses people for himself, calls them to himself. Amazing. The same thing is so, the same thing that God said to Elijah there is true in our time. God has set a group of people for himself. This is the the beauty, part of the beauty of the church. You gather with other people who are following Jesus. Be encouraged. God preserves and is calling a remnant for himself in Olds, in central Alberta, in Canada, in the world. God is at work in the midst of COVID. There's people he's drawing to himself, he's saving. And if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you put your trust in him, not only will he save you, but he will keep you. He has you in his hands. May we be encouraged by this. Whether you're feeling spiritually strong or barely getting by, God is keeping you and will keep you and will continue in your life until the day you die or Christ's return. Keep trusting in him. Going back to 1 Kings, we see Elijah needed a word from God to get back up again. Right? He needed to hear from God. What about us, though? I'm not suggesting like, hey, you need to go to Mount Sinai. You need to go up on that mountain to hear from God. We live in a different time than Elijah did. We live in a time like Christ has died on the cross for our sins, was buried, was raised again, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And we live at the time where we have the Holy Scriptures. That we're like, God, I need a word from you then. We need to open up this book. And we need to seek the Lord. It's a good, um, I don't know if anyone has ever read The Pilgrim's Progress. I would like, just recommend it. If you've never read it, I think it's the most printed book next to the Bible in the English language. It's a story, it's of a, an analogy of the Christian walk. And it makes things so obvious, so you're not like, well, who does this person represent? The main character is called Christian. <laughs> His friend is called Hopeful. And there's a story in there of they get stuck in the doubting castle by the giant of despair and his wife's name is gloom like what a couple (laughs) so despair and gloom have there and he's beating christian and hopeful every day and they're like locked in a cage and like how can we get out of here and all of a sudden christian's like wait a second 
I have the key. It's next to my breast. The key of promise can get got them out of Doubting Castle. It was the word of God that they had hidden in their hearts that they escaped Doubting Castle. The giant of despair. If we are to get up, we need to hear from God. We need to meet with God in the word. And specifically, we need to meet with Christ in the word. Remember John the Baptist in his lowest state as he grabbed his servants and go say, go and talk to Jesus. Are you the one? He is looking to Jesus. In our lowest state, we need to continually look to Jesus Christ. That old saint Charles Spurgeon said this about spiritual depression. I find myself frequently depressed, perhaps more so than any other person, and I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart and seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-speaking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. So always, but especially when we are low, we need to see Christ in the word and be reminded of who he is and what he has done and our identity in him. Just a few verses uh, to leave us with. Hebrews 1.3 says this about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The well-known verse in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, like heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that, that, that's an invitation to... Everyone, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted him as your Savior, that's an invitation to you to come and lay down your burden and accept his gift of grace and forgiveness of sins and peace with God. But for everyone, if you are in Christ, I think that's a continual invitation. And how do you, how do you accept that invitation? Well, do you have a, a burden? Is there a heaviness to you? Christ's invitation is to come, come to him. Lay it down, and he will give you his peace, his yoke upon you, and rest. When we are down and need to hear from God, we need to read the word and let its light shine in our darkness and get, have the Holy Spirit form faith in us as we look to Christ as our hope and our all. So what, we, we all get down in this life. We all have felt spiritual depression or are in it or maybe will be in it. Let us learn from the life of Elijah this morning. When you get down, we need to get up physically. We need to get up by seeking God in the quiet. We need to get up by hearing from God, by meeting God in his word. Because God has a plan for each one of us. Like, Elijah, you need to get back up again. I have things that you need to be doing. Right? All of us, God wants to use each one of us. If, you're, if you have kids, God definitely wants to use you to encourage your children to know Jesus. You have a spouse. 
We need to encourage one another, friends, family members. Like God has you where he has you, where you're living, who your family and friends are for a reason. And so that's why we can't stay low. We need to get back up again, fix our eyes on Jesus Christ because he has work for us to do. And so we need to keep getting back, keep encouraging one another and continuing on. So I pray that this word, if you're going through a low time, that you'd be encouraged to get back up again. And if it's not now, that in the future you would remember this word. And that you wouldn't stay low, but you'd get back up again. And keep going. I'm just going to close this time in prayer, and we'll respond to God with a song.